Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. We're going to talk today um, about expectations, but I just want you to pause for a minute. Um, One thing that we can expect because of what God's Word says is that when his people gather together, he will meet with us. We were just singing the verse of the song a minute ago. um, Our gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. And so if you're in here with us this morning, if you're at home, and I know kids may be running around, this may be a little more difficult. um, I just want you to ask you to stop and pause just a minute. Because Jesus is going to return. God's word tells us he's coming back. And he's going to fully take us to be with him. But by his spirit's power, he's among us right now. So I just want to encourage you just to stop for a minute. Just rest in that truth. Lord Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you that because of who you are, God's one and only Son, part of the triune God, because of what you've done in laying down your life for the sins of your people, because of what you will do, and that is to complete the work you've begun in us and deliver us home. Lord, we can sing with confidence. We can look to you with confidence. Gazing at who you are. Rejoicing in what you will do. So this morning, Lord, as we look at your word, let us come to it as those who, Lord, trust and believe and are learning to trust and believe that what you have for us is good for us. Lord, as we believe it, teach us to love one another, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Who who has expectations for you in your life? (laughs) I like the giggles. Uh, The the giggles are fun, right? Um, Who has expectations for you in your life? And I was joking with a family member this week, um, and as as I was joking with him, I said, you know, sometimes I feel like the ball in a pinball machine. And I feel like I'm bounced around all over the place because, you know, my, my, my boss has expectations for me. You all know him, he's a good guy, but he has expectations, right? <laughs> my wife has expectations for me. Um, my children have expectations for me. My, uh, you know, if you, if you just go through the list, I was, just, I was processing it like my parents have expectations. My grandparents have expectations. The families of the kids I coach in sports have expectations, The world has expectations. I dare say that those of you sitting here today and those of you listening online, you probably have expectations for me. 
You know who the, what the worst of all expectations are? The expectations I have for myself. And as I think about that, I think, wow. If I dwell on those, um, I can at best get tired and maybe even get discouraged at times uh, because of all those expectations. Then we come to the Bible and the words we're going to look at this morning, and we see words like should and ought to. And my gut reaction is to think, Lord, you too? You have expectations too? If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, as we, we come into this um, fifth week in our sermon a series on 1 John, I want to remind you of something. The expectations that God has for us are different than, any expect, than expectations that anyone else has for us. Because, number one, He knows what's best for us. He knows what's best for the world. Because He created it, He created us. And they're different because what he expects of us, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves, uh, is 100% good for us. And they're different because he took the penalty for our failing to live up to those expectations. He took the penalty for that. And now he strengthens us to follow him as he abides in us. That's what we've been talking about through this series so far, and I don't want you to forget that as we come this morning um, to, the, to the rest of this. But as we do so, I also want to challenge you, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd like to ask you to consider something. I'd like to ask you to consider whose expectations would you rather live under? Expectations that are sometimes good, sometimes not good, because they're constantly, constantly changing because they're based on human desires, human emotions, human selfishness, even our own? Or would you rather live under expectations that are consistent, that are known, that are never changing, that are always for your good? Now, we know we like to have the expectations clear. You don't have to think any further than a classroom. Um, Kids, when you're in class and at the beginning of the year, what do the teachers do, right? They put the list of rules up on the wall, right? And up on the wall, here's the rules for the class. And not only here are the rules for the class, typically they have here are the consequences for breaking those rules. Right? Clear expectations. We all want it. We all long for it. And we get frustrated when expectations seem to change. God's expectations don't change. And so today, we're going to see that the Father's expectation is that we love one another. And that is good for us. So let's look together at 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 11 through 24. And as we look there together, um, I remind you that this is God's word. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, 
but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because he keeps his command, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. And so today, again, the father's expectation is that we love one another. Look at verse 11. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Let me remind you of the context. We've said it every week, but John, the Apostle John, who had been with Jesus, is now writing to the church in Ephesus, um, and he's telling them, uh, these false teachers are teaching you a different message. These false teachers are telling you something else. We want you to go, I want you, to, uh, church, to go back to what you heard from the beginning. Go back to what you heard when you became a believer. That's the true message. And so he's telling them that we, followers of Jesus, should, there's the indication that there's an expectation, love one another. We should love one another. So after reminding them that God expects them to love one another, he shows them what love looks like. And so we're going to break that down into three statements today about love. The first one is love is difficult. The second one is love is sacrificial. And the third one is love is assuring. Those are up there on the screen for you now. They'll come back up as we go. Um, But the first statement that we see is that love is difficult. There's two reasons love is difficult. First, love is difficult because of our hearts. Look back to verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Now we talk a lot uh, here at the Vine about um, our first parents, Adam and Eve, as they were representatives of all mankind. Adam and Eve had one commandment, one expectation from God. And what did they do? They broke that commandment. They broke that expectation. Um, The Bible calls that sin. And why did they break that expectation? They broke it because they wanted to be like God. And their actions said, not their words, but their actions said, we know what's good for us. We know better than God. We will follow our own expectations. That's sin. And it probably sounds a little bit familiar to us, maybe not in the words we speak, but often in our actions. As a result of Adam and Eve's sin, everything was broken. And everything that we see today that's wrong and broken in the world came into existence. Death, murder, broken relationship, the list goes on. And then we see all this play out in the very next chapter, in chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4. Cain, Adam and Eve's firstborn, becomes jealous of his younger brother Abel. They they had both brought offerings to the Lord. They They both brought offerings, offerings from the things they do. They presented them before the Lord, and it says the Lord accepted or had regard for Abel's offering and had no regard for Cain's offering. He rejected Cain's offering. 
This says it's because, in, in this passage it says because um, Abel's offering was righteous, his deeds were righteous, and, and Cain's were not. And there's so much discussion that goes on about, well, what made Abel's better? What didn't? Here's a, here's a trick. When Scripture answers that question, we go with what Scripture says. And in Hebrews 11 it says, Abel's was received because he had faith. Cain's was not received because he didn't. It was the faith of Abel. And so Cain now, in Genesis chapter 4, is warned. He's warned by the Lord that sin was crouching at his door. He was, he was, as I would use the term, he was pouting. He was angry. And the Lord warns him that sin was crouching at his door, that his heart was evil, that the sin in his heart was desiring to overcome him. And he's, he's given Cain this warning, turn from that. But Cain met his brother Abel in the field and he killed him. Love of his brother was difficult for Cain because of the sin residing in his heart. And it's difficult for us, even as believers, because of the remaining sin residing in our hearts. Now, we'll all say, yeah, but I wouldn't do what Cain did. And I think John's expecting the followers of Jesus in Ephesus to say, John, we're not going to murder our brothers. Because he says in verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Who else said something like that? Jesus. Back in Matthew chapter 5, in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus equated deep, unresolved, undealt with anger in our hearts. He equated that to murder. Now, we know the earthly consequences are not the same of, of hatred and anger and murder. But the heart issue is the same. And God's expectation is that we love our brother, but it's not natural for us. It's difficult due to the corruption of our hearts. It's also difficult, the second reason love is difficult, is because love will not always be welcomed. Look at verse 13 and 14. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. We should not be surprised when the world hates us. Is that hard for anybody else to hear? I like it when people like me. I like for people to like me. I don't want people to hate me. And, I, and we want to build relationships with others and hopefully care for others. But it shouldn't surprise us when our care and love is not received well. When we as believers live with the power of God in us, the light of Christ will shine through us to others. And as Christ's light shines, darkness is exposed. That's what happens. And so the life of a believer, the life of a believer who's asking God to deal with the hate in us, the anger in us, the sin in our hearts towards other individuals or towards other people groups. The life of a believer who's asking God to deal with all that stuff and looking to Jesus as our hope to save us and to change us today, that life confronts a non-believer with their own sinfulness and their own need. Often, rather than repent and turn to Jesus, they attack the messenger. 
even if the messenger genuinely comes in love. I want you to, th- to stop and think about this because here's what John is, is pointing back to now. As he, as he lays this out there, he's reminding them, this is what Jesus went through. Jesus was the target of the world. The world wanted to kill Jesus because his light was shining in the darkness. And also understand that even though love is difficult, even though the sinful nature of our hearts makes it difficult, even though the, um, the, the love not being welcomed, received well from others, it makes it difficult. Please understand it doesn't change anything about God's expectation for us to love our brothers. That leads us to our second statement about the love for our brother that God expects from us. The second one is that love is sacrificial. There's three reasons we'll see that love is sacrificial. We see the first one in verse, at the verse, first clause of verse 16. And it's sacrificial because it's from God. That clause says, by this we know love. So in the passage that um, our pastor John, our lead pastor, will preach next week, it explicitly says that love is from God in chapter 4, verse 7. But it can also be seen, and we can also see that it's from God here in this passage. He says, by this we know. So the knowledge that's being referred to here is an intimate experiential knowledge. It's the same word that's often used to describe the intimate way in which a husband and wife are to know one another. And so by this, we'll come back to what this is in just a minute. By this, he's saying we have deep, intimate, experiential knowledge of love. Now, the, the love that's word here, you, the word for love that's used here is the agape word. It's God-given love. All of us are created in the image of God. Um, we all, therefore, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, have some capacity for love because we're created in his image. That's why it's natural for a mother um, to love her child and, and other examples of that. But the word here used for love is different from other types of love and other, type, other words used for love in Scripture. And if we took the time to go through the New Testament this morning, we'd see that love from God is always tied to the sacrificial work of Jesus. Love from God is always tied to the sacrificial work of Jesus. The work that says that, that Jesus who was perfect and deserved nothing wrong, deserved no punishment, took the punishment that we deserved and gave his life for our sin. So we know love is sacrificial because it's from God. We also know love is sacrificial because it's demonstrated by Jesus. Look at the second part of verse 16. That he laid down his life for us. So this clause explains the this in the first clause. The, the, the this is, by this, by the fact that he laid down his life for us, we know love. The NIV captures the essence of this phrase, this verse, translating it to say, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. A while back, one of our pastors, Pastor Mark, um, said that he defined love as love equals sacrifice in action. And so love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good um, of the one loved. It's sacrifice in action. Jesus sacrificed himself 
because he cared for us and is committed to seeking our highest good that we might receive the rights and privileges of being his, that we might be made like him. And so he sacrifices, his, his sacrifice saves us. It strengthens us to follow his expectation to love our brothers. And it serves as an example of how we're to love one another. It's also sacrificial. The third way is because it cares more about others than about ourselves. So now I'm going to read the, the third part of verse 16 through verse 18. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, I said in a sermon a few weeks ago um, that I believe I'd physically lay down my life for my wife, for my kids, possibly even for you. The reality, though, is that none of us fully know that until the time comes. But, when John, but John says in verse 17 that, that we can talk about laying down our lives for one another. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? And then he calls us to love in deed and truth, not just in word and talk. You know, it's easy to say, I love you. But words and deeds can very quickly take those, I mean, but, but um, the wrong deeds, the wrong actions can very quickly take those words away. And it hurts when we think about that. Because it means laying down our lives moment by moment for our brothers, for our sisters. And the passage here is explicitly talking about love to fellow followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ. We also know that throughout Scripture we're to love our neighbor. Our neighbors are those who, like us, um, are in the ditch. If you remember the story of the Good Samaritan... In that story, we always want to think about who are we, these other, these other characters. No, we're the person in the ditch. <laughs> and every one of us needs the love of God, the love of Christ, because we're in that ditch. And so we're to, we're to love our neighbors, those who like us are in the ditch. That's everybody. A follower of Jesus will come to the need of another follower of Jesus if he's able to do so. And, and we'll love our neighbors as ourselves. This is where this gets real. Because doing this requires self-sacrifice, and it's never or rarely is it convenient for us. Just think about it for a minute. If you're married, is it always convenient for you in marriage to love your spouse? Nope. Raising children. Now, I think I was thinking about it this morning. Um, it's not always convenient for me when I'm tired and worn out and my kids want my attention. It's not always convenient for me to give that to them. It's also not always convenient for them to let daddy rest, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, and then we live in a culture a culture that celebrates division. 
It focuses on it. It seeks to drive to polar opposites. And here's the deal. The church and the way we treat one another should not look the same as the world. But too often it does. Let me give you an example of how the church should not look the same as the world. How we treat and speak to one another, how we treat and speak about one another, even when we disagree about how to respond to COVID. We live in a polarizing culture. Individuals and organizations desire to be justified in our response. And so when we approach something like COVID, everybody's looking for the right answer. Let me let you in on a secret. There's not one. There's not a right answer. But there are two very clear wrong ones. And here they are. Saying that I don't care about others or saying that their fears and their concerns are just an annoyance to my way of life. That's a wrong answer. If you make the connection in the passage, here's why. It's wrong because loving our brothers often requires self-sacrifice. And it's rarely convenient. But there's a second wrong answer. The other wrong approach is to say that everyone who's returning to society or church doesn't love others as themselves. Here's the problem with that, just plain and simple. We don't know other people's hearts. We don't know why people are making the decisions others are making. And all that happens when we start to put judgment on what others are doing is it breeds resentment, it breeds bitterness, and and it comes about based on our own definition of what loving others should look like. Bitterness and resentment breeds hatred and anger. The passage says that leads to murder, at least murder in our hearts. Y'all, that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to stand up here and say that because I've got some of that stuff going on in my own heart. And I know y'all and and those who are watching online, we all are dealing with that. The question is not, are we dealing with the mess? The question is, are we recognizing and saying, Jesus, show me the sinfulness of my own heart. Change me. Help me to love others. We also see it in the racism or discrimination, right? We can sit and say, well, I'm not racist, but we discriminate against many things. Also, that is sin. That's not loving our brother. And we need to actively ask God to show us the discrimination in our hearts and repent from it. Believe His grace covers the multitude of sin and then ask Him to change us. None of this is easy. None of it's natural. And a lot of it is really uncomfortable. But here's an interesting thing in the passage. John comes back to saying that because none of it's natural, because none of it's easy, as he's demonstrating this, because of that, when love shows up, Love itself is assuring. Let me show you that from the passage. Look at verse 19. 
19 and 20. By this we shall know we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So in verse 19, he's repeating that he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's, and he's reassuring them that they are followers of Jesus, contrary to what the false teachers are telling them, because there's love. They have love for one another. They have love for the brothers. And then in verse 20, he's telling the Christians, look, God knows everything. And I'm going to paraphrase this. I'm not going to read back through the whole thing. But God knows everything. He is greater than our hearts. He knows that we're more sinful than we realize. He knows that we're going to mess this up again and again as we battle in this world. Love is assuring to us because love is difficult. It's sacrificial. It doesn't come natural. And it's assuring to us as it begins to show up. Because the only way we love is through God's love to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. The only way we're able to truly love is from God's work in us. That results in love. That is not all talk. But love that is in word, in deed, in truth. I want to say this just to be clear. We don't get God's attention, or we don't love to try to get God's attention. We don't love to try to keep His love for us. Love is evident in those who know, those who know God's love. Love flows from us, because love is from Him. And So then in verses 21 through 24, John circles back. And he's saying there, the sinfulness of our hearts seek to condemn us. But if we understand that God knows everything, if we understand that he knows everything and he still loved us, if we're demonstrating his love to others by keeping his commandments, believe in Jesus and love others, then the Spirit of God will testify in our hearts that God abides in us and with us. And he says in verse 22 that that then we'll ask anything in his name and receive it. He he turns it to prayer. Because we have this assurance, now we can come to him boldly in prayer. Human expectations. Human expectations will always wear us out. Exhaust us. Because even when you meet them, They'll either change or they won't be received well. But God's expectations never fail us. You hear that today? God's expectation never fails us. It's consistent. It's known. It's never changing. And it's always for our good. In our passage this morning, that expectation is that we love one another. It's difficult. It's not natural. And that's why we need Jesus every single day. Jesus isn't just a stamp to say, okay, he saved us, now go live our lives. We are dependent on his strength, moment by moment, day by day, 
And as he changes us, it can be slow, it can be painful. But as he changes us, we can receive real intimate knowledge of his love for us. We can grow in it moment by moment, day by day. And as we do, we will then love our brothers and love our sisters. I want you to take just a minute um, as we prepare for communion. I want you to hold off on opening the packets for a minute. Um, well, I'll give you time to do that in just a moment. Um, but, but just take a minute. And I want you just to take time before the Lord and ask Him, Lord, will you show me any of those places that I'm not loving my brothers and sisters? I'll just take that time now. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.